All right, welcome to text-based Tanya. We're on chapter 40. Very good. And today's learning is is Lezecher Nishmas Leia Bas Shraga and Rivka Bas Avraham Yosef. And also Chaim David Shleimer Ben Pinchas Levi. Also Lezecher. Okay. So we are on the third chapter of a triumvirate of chapters. Triumvirate's just a group of three things, right? Trilogy. Yeah, that's probably more correct, because a trilogy would be like a group of three narratives. Yeah. So we're on the third chapter of a string of three chapters which all speak about the topic of Havana. Havana. Intent. Good. So far we spoke about the fact that uh, there are two different types of Kavana, intellectually generated love and awe of God and instinctive love and awe of God. Yeah? And that the higher level is which one? Intellectually generated? Yeah. And it's compared to the level of human being. Whereas the lower level of Kavana, which was uh, generated through Instinct, spiritual instinct, the instinct of the soul, is compared to the level of an animal, which is instinctive. Okay. And as far as worlds go, mitzvahs that are done with intellectually generated love and awe of God ascend to the world of Bria. And mitzvahs that are done with love and awe of God that were generated through the instinct of the godly soul ascend to the level of? Yitzira. Very good. And the mitzvahs that are done without any kavana, just by rote? They don't go up. They don't go up. But are they still mitzvahs? Sure. Sure, they're still mitzvahs. Okay. Great. Thank you for the water. Yeah? Questions on 39? I thought I was, I thought I made it out of there. (laughs) Okay, what do you want to know about 39? My first question is, habit, Rabbi mentioned the word habit, and I think it's Habit, yeah. Habit does not rise. If it's done by rote, by habit, right, there's no kavana, so it doesn't rise, yeah. Right. So habit must have a level, I mean, motivation is kavana. So habit must have yes. some Yes. <coughs> yes. Because then you're not conscious of it. Hmm? Then it's not conscious of it. So then I wouldn't define kavana as motivation. Because kavana is intention when which is intentional motivation. So habit does not have intentional motivation. Right. It's a motivation, but not an intentional motivation. That's a, that's a great distinction. Yeah. Okay. Another question. By the way, there are intentional motivations which are not good ones either. Remember, we spoke about that. A person has an intentional motivation to do a mitzvah for an ulterior motive. Mm-hmm. Right. So not all intentional motivations are lifting the mitzvah, but obviously the ones that are love and awe of God are, yeah. Also, schar mitzvah mitzvah. mitzvah mitzvah, yeah. The reward of the mitzvah is the actual mitzvah. The mitzvah has intrinsic value. You are creating something when you do a mitzvah. In this world or in the next? In this world or in the next world, very good. In all worlds, but the issue is that the way things are right now, 
we're only able to appreciate the value of what we've created when removed from bodily limitations. So we only enjoy what we've created when we're disembodied souls in Gan Eden. However, when the world will be completely refined, meaning when Mashiach comes, then we will be able to see the inherent value of the mitzvahs we did even while in this world. Right. I experience some sense of pleasure here? Is that possible? Okay, so your question is, since the schar mitzvah mitzvah for right now, until Mashiach comes, is really being put in a bank, and you really only get to appreciate it after 120, how do you use that as a motivation? What I would say is, um, try to think about the fact that really the, your ability to behold and to marvel at the awesome thing that you've done is a, is a secondary feature of the inherent value of the mitzvah. The primary feature of the inherent value of the mitzvah is the pleasure that it causes Hashem. So if you know that there's a way of doing something that causes greater pleasure to Hashem, could that be the motivation? Well, you're, you're like, hmm, I'm not sure, but do you realize that that's almost like circular logic, what I'm saying, because by definition, that is the motivation. The higher level motivation is awe and love of Hashem. So you're almost, just, you're almost saying, what is the motivation to have higher level motivation? <laughs> you hear what I'm saying? If you have awe and love of Hashem, then your motivation is not about the reward you're going to accrue. That's incidental. If you have love and awe of Hashem, then the fact that there's reward is like, that's a bonus, but that's not the motivation. Oh, wow, that's a wonderful question. How do we get love and awe of Hashem? Okay, so basically chapters 41 through 50 are all about how to get love and awe of Hashem. But we did talk about meditation. Yes, we spoke about meditation very briefly in chapters 16 and 17, and we didn't really speak about what to meditate on. However, if we ever get out of chapters 38, 39, and 40, we're going to have 10 whole chapters, 41 through 50. No. So... If we get out of 38, 39, and 40, which are about Kavana, we're going to get to 41 through 50, which are different meditations for generating various forms of love and awe. Couldn't those have been early, early chapters? It's a great question. Why, I, why are those meditations not in the early chapters? I have a theory about it, but I don't want to... I don't want to slow us down any more than, than already. I want to move. I want to keep moving. Yeah? Can we move? Can we, what? Burning question? Is it a burning question? Oh, yeah, that's right. We said that, yeah. yeah. Okay, let's go. Let's go. Pedigmam. Chapter 40. There's still only 53. They did not add a new chapter since we started. That's correct. Yes. Pedigmam, chapter 40. Ach kolzman shleichazevalamidavazelishma. Continuing what we were saying before, that if somebody catches himself not learning with the right intent, he catches himself and then he refocuses so he can go and get all of the stuff that was put in the wrong place because of the wrong intent, he can reclaim it and just shift it over and put it in the right place by refocusing his intent. Okay. However, as long as he doesn't do that, ain't lumude, his learning is not going up, not to Yitzira and not even to Asiya, the lowest world. Because the spheres are godly. And within them is the infinite light itself. 
like it says in Tikkun without love and awe, or awe and love, mitzvahs cannot go up and ascend and stand before Hashem. Rak, rather, rather, his Torah study goes up to the chambers, which are the extraneous parts of the worlds where the angels stand. It can't go into where the Yud Sviros are, which are the basic makeup of the worlds, which are godliness themselves. But this learning doesn't have that level of intent, so it's incompatible with the Sviros and cannot be fused with them. So it sort of stands there and hangs out in the extraneous parts of the worlds. Yeah, don't worry about it. Like Chaim Vital, the Arizal student, says that from Torah that is studied without intent, it creates angels in Yitzira. And with mitzvahs that are done without intent, it creates angels in the world of Asiya. And these angels all are made of substance and form. But then, when you get to an even worse level than that, Torah that's done really for not the right intent. For instance, like he wants to become a scholar. He's doing it for his own self-aggrandizement. It does not go up at all, not even to where the angels hang out. It stays down here in the physical world, which is the world where the clippers hang out. Like it says in the Zayar, you could look it up. Uh, folio 31b and 121b. Hahi, Mila, Salka, Ovaka, Riki, and Vichulu. Viitar Madi Itar, Itav Tav Chulu Ain Sham. It says that these this word goes up and it splits through worlds. And uh, it does whatever it does. If it's good, it's good. If not, not. Vidavkuf He Omad Aleph, also one oh five A. Mila Daraisa, Isavid Mine, Kalavasalak Khulu. A word of Taira goes up. And it does whatever it does. Vedav kuf samechas omid base one sixty eight b. Kalim deraisa tzleisa bikin erkiyin chulu. The voice of Torah and prayer goes up through the worlds. Kamesha kosev zayir al pasig ma yisin lo adne bechol amolish yamul tachas hashemish like it says in zayir on the verse, King Solomon's statement from. Kahelis, what is the advantage to any of the toil that a man does under the sun? That even when you toil in Torah, if you do it for your own glory, your own glorification, then it doesn't really accomplish anything spiritually. That's what it means. Happy is he, or fortunate is he, who arrives here, meaning in heaven, after 120. And he has his learning in his hand. What does it mean he has this learning in his hand? His, his learning didn't remain behind in the physical world, meaning it was able to come up to heaven with him. Now you're going to ask me a smarty question. The question is, hold on a second. How can you say that Torah could ever... Torah? How can you say that Torah could ever be left behind down in the lower realms, even if I had... Not such a great intent. But ultimately, Torah and Hashem are one, right? Torah and Hashem are one. He says, yeah, that's, that's true. Well, you know, Hashem fills, fills all worlds equally. He's omnipresent. Nevertheless, But you see that there are different levels of worlds. Right? You understand the question? The question was, how can you mess up Torah? Torah is godly. Torah can't go into heaven? Torah is godly. That's like saying God can't go into heaven. Oh, my, my lack of kavana messed it up? But Torah is intrinsically godly. That's the question.
I know, nobody had that question on their own. But now that I'm saying the question, can you try to relate to it? Okay, so here's the beginning of the answer. The beginning of the answer is God's omnipresent, right? God's in all worlds, right? Okay, and yet you recognize there are levels of worlds, worlds that are more spiritual and less spiritual, right? Okay, so we're beginning to answer the question. Now, the difference between these different worlds is really subjective. It's from the vantage point of the recipients, and it's on two counts. The one thing is, this higher worlds receive a greater emanation than the lower worlds. And the second thing, that the recipients in the higher worlds receive without so many, calls them garments or coverings. So you understand there's two different things. The light itself is greater in the higher worlds, and there are less coverings on that light in the higher worlds. This physical world is the lowest of all worlds on both counts. On both counts. It's, lower, it's a lesser light, and the light's more covered. Even that little light is more covered. The light that's shining in this world is the most condensed to the most to the utmost extreme, and that's why this world is a physical physical coarse world. And even that little diminished light is covered with tons of garments. Until the spiritual energy of this physical world is so low and so diminished that it is able to power klipas neiga. Include, I'm in the middle of sentence, hold on. It is able to power klipas neiga, including the nefesh the energy, the physical vital vitality of the body which causes the person to live and to, to speak. Because he's a human, so when he's alive and he's doing stuff, he's speaking. Okay, so you follow. By the way, we're in the, I don't want to take any questions right now. We're in the middle of a complex train of thought, and half of you are not following it anyway. <laughs> right? Am I right? Yes. I'm going to repeat. The question was, how can my lack of intent cause Torah not to be able to go into heaven? Torah is intrinsically divine. Yes? You said it's going to the angels. Well, that... Right, and then if you have negative intent, like you're doing it for self-aggrandizement, we say it stays down here in the physical world. But how can Torah not be compatible with spiritual worlds? Torah is divine. So we began the answer, and we said, there are levels. Hashem is omnipresent, yes, and yet we all understand that there are levels, there are different worlds that are more spiritual than others. Okay, what makes different worlds more spiritual than others? There are two factors, a confluence of two factors. One is greater or lesser light. The second is greater or lesser garments. This physical world, this physical world happens to be a loser on both counts, which is what makes it a coarse physical world. It has the least amount of light and the most amount of garments on top of that light, and therefore that light actually ends up being compatible with klippa and being the energy which enlivens klippa, including the physical vitality of the person himself. There are levels of spiritual energy. Forget about worlds. There are levels of spiritual energy. Right now, when I'm talking about the, the klippa within each of us, I'm talking about the physical vitality. I'm not talking about some spiritual lofty soul, some God consciousness that, that goes to heaven after 120. I'm talking about literally just the life force that makes the body move. It's klippa. It's not holy. It can be ascended to holiness, it can be elevated to holiness if you use it the right way. But is that light that's down here is compatible to Kripa? Yes. It's so diminished that it's able to serve as energy to animate Klippa. 
it is so diminished that it can actually serve as a source of vitality for klipa. If it wouldn't be diminished in that way, if it would be pure kedusha, it wouldn't be compatible with klipa, and it couldn't animate klipa. It would probably just blast the klipa away. Fueling it, yeah. Yeah. I have a problem with the second piece, the less physical coverings. How can I reconcile that with the Cohen Gadol, who has more breastplates and more coverings and more, and with Snezka? More layers, not less layers. I don't know, that's too expert level of a question. I don't know. That's, that's too expert level. That's... Hold on. I, I, I'm trying very hard for us to be able to stay focused on this. Okay, just hold on. That's a wonderful question. I, I can't even open up that browser tab or we're going to get a beach ball. <laughs> we're going to get the spinning beach ball. Do you understand the idea that spiritual energy in its origin is holy? And therefore, it's incompatible with anything that is not also holy. So we're just making a point that by the time the energy gets down to the physical world, it's so diminished and it's so covered that unholy things can even make use of it. Make use of it. Yeah. Yeah, the light is intrinsically holy, but it's been diminished and covered so much that Klippa can use it to live, to exist. Klippa doesn't exist on its own. It needs energy. But if it would get raw, pristine energy from, from Kedusha, it would be nullified out of existence. Yeah. Yes. Solar power. What? Neutral activity. It's neutral. Yeah, well, Klippa is either neutral or profane. In this case, we were talking about which Klippa? No. Klippa Snoiga, which is neutral. Okay, so that little bit of light. Yes. Neutral Klippa. Right, which is basically just physical, vital energy for keeping the body alive. And when a person is learning Torah for a purely human, secular, personal reason, then his kavana is basically on the level of the physical vitality of the body. It's not lofty. It's not spiritual. Okay? All right. Therefore, when the person speaks words of Torah and prayer without kavana, Although the letters themselves are holy letters, and the klipa, the klipa noiga, the klipa of noiga of the of the soul cannot cover the holiness that is invested in those letters like it does cover when the soul is being used to animate speaking idle chatter so it is when you're speaking words of Torah there's clearly not as much of a covering concealment as if you were speaking idle chatter and it's clearly not as much covering as the animating soul of other animals meaning not humans even though God is omnipresent there's no place devoid of God 
Kel Mistater. He is the hidden of all hidden. He's called a hidden God, a God who hides himself. And also, this vitality that comes from him is covered up with different garments, powerful garments. Until it can become hidden within Klipas Neuge. But the holy words, the holy letters of Torah and Tefillah do not get covered like that. To the contrary, what happens is Klipas Neuge doesn't cover the holiness of the words of Torah and Tefillah. The holiness of the words of Torah and Tefillah elevates the Klipas Neuge, as we've explained. However, the emanation of holiness, or from holiness, is very, very, very compressed to the utmost extreme until it yields a physical voice. However, when you daven and you learn with proper intent, then the intent goes into the letters. Because after all, the intent is actually the source of the letters. It's what's driving the letters. It's the intent, the love and awe, which is actually causing you to speak these letters. Therefore, it picks it up to its place, where? Either to the spheres of Yitzira or the spheres of Bria. Whether, depending, it's intellectually generated kavana or instinctively driven kavana, as explained before. So he's explaining the letters themselves, yes, are holy. However, the way that they are actually, the way that the state in which they're existing is going to be reflective of the intent or lack thereof. Just like we understand that Hashem is present in all worlds, he's, he's present in all worlds, equally present in all worlds, but there's greater and lesser concealment in different worlds. Okay, so the letters are intrinsically, letters of Torah and Tefillah are intrinsically holy, but there are degrees to which that is revealed or concealed, and that depends on the intent or lack thereof. Of the individual, correct. Well, I guess you're asking the question, like, will, how will that affect other people, objectively speaking? So. Right. That was a different chapter. Everybody in, 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 the, in the spiritual world, everybody is going into their own IMAX theater to watch the movie that they produced. And like in here on this land, on this No. After 120 in the spiritual world, everyone is going to watch their own IMAX movie that they produced. But when Mashiach comes and all of this is revealed in the physical world, the uniqueness of it is that it will be universal to the extent that everyone will see it, everyone will see each other's accomplishments. In fact, even animals will see it. So what we're discussing now is Torah learning with intent or without intent yes. for this world. What we're discussing right now is in all worlds. Depending on the level of intent, that's how much 
that's how much revealed light the davening or learning is going to have. No, we're not talking about the human experience. Okay. Could you talk about creating? We're talking about what you're creating. We're talking about your output. Okay, so you're still, okay. <laughs> yeah. Okay. This makes no sense to me because what? we're taught not to compare ourselves to other people. So you're telling me that. Who's comparing you to other people? Right, you just said that after 120, we're each going to see our own IMAX movie. Yes, I did. After 120 years, not yeah. only are we going to see our own IMAX movie, yeah. we're going to see everyone else's IMAX movie. No, you know. Right, after Mashiach. Why do I want to see other people's IMAX movies? It's not an IMAX movie. When Mashiach comes, <laughs> it's an objective experience. When you clean up the room, whether you were working hard like the little red hen or you were a, uh, what's it called? Uh, what's the word for the person who, uh, who's, what's the fancy military word for somebody? Guys, what's, what's the fancy military word for somebody who doesn't participate in a group project? There's a great word, not a slacker and not a gold bricker. There's a fancy word for a gold bricker. Somebody look it up for me. Freeloader. Not, not a freeloader. No, it's a fancy word. I want to know. It's like... Okay, keep looking it up. Okay. Ready? Yeah. Somebody who doesn't participate in group activity. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, it starts with an M, I think. It's... What is it? I... You know what, guys? I'm so, like... I need I need some fun right now. This is fun for me. It's a hard chapter, Okay, malinger, malinger, malinger. Yes, that is what I wanted. Malinger. Okay. Yeah, malinger. So therefore, let's say there's a group project of cleaning up the room, and let's say you were the little red hen and you were working really hard. And somebody else was malingering. <laughs> Nevertheless, at the end, everyone will experience the same clean room. Okay, I don't want to talk about this anymore. Let's keep going. No, I'm going. I'm going. I'm moving. I'm moving. I'm moving. What? What? We are a little bit. <laughs> we are a little bit, yeah. Yeah. He's just clarifying aspects of it. Like you might want, well, what are you talking about? Higher and lower. It's all tighter. It's all tefillah. He's just saying, well, there's there's degrees of revelation. Just like all the worlds are all godliness, but there are levels of revelation. But we're attaching that yeah. to saying that this world is the lowest world of. of that was just an example. It was a rhetorical device, it was a metaphor. It was an analogy. No. Talking about levels of revelation of different worlds was an analogy to make a point. Just like there are different worlds, even though all the worlds are godly and God is in, in every world, but you all know that there are different levels of worlds, so too the words of Tayyip and Tefillah, yes, they're all divine, but there are levels of revelation. Okay, fine, no problem. All right. Yeah. <coughs> and you don't answer properly, you're creating a model of self-sufficient in certain ways. Yeah, that's true too. So is that the same basically? Yeah, basically, yeah. The, the, the weakling angels and the robust angels, yeah, the same type of thing. Angels. The malingering angels. Okay, <laughs> let's keep going, let's keep going. Rasham, Mayor Miskalo, Arians of Baruch Hu, Shuratin Elyin Baruch Hu, Mlubesh, Baasius Hatere Shalem, and Bechavon Asan, who would... So then what happens is, it's very important here. This is basically the answer to your question. You do that often, like you ask a question, it's like the next line. Basically, don't ask any question anymore because whatever you're thinking of, it's the next line, yeah. Yeah, okay. 
So, yeah, actually, that did happen. It wasn't the next line. It was like, it's 10 chapters from now. Okay, okay. No, but this is literally the next line. So basically, what we're saying is the level of revelation that's attached to these different letters of Torah and Tefillah, that can't be revealed in this physical world. That's going to be revealed in the spiritual world. So the soul, when it's experiencing its reward in the afterlife, is going to experience different degrees of revelation, depending on how much kavanah it infused into its Torah and Tefillah. But down here in the physical world, those different varying levels of revelation or concealment are not going to be revealed. Until when? Until what he calls the Ace Kates Hayomin, the time of the end of days. No, it's not some crazy Christian apocalyptic thing. The end of days is the beginning of days. The end of days is good. It's Mashiach. Yeah, it's good stuff. What happens at the end of days? The world will be a, like elevated from its physical state. The glory of God will be revealed, meaning objectively, not just a subjective experience, which I was calling the IMAX movie. Like it was written at length earlier in Tanya. Ladies, make my day. After all the misery you caused me, go, give me a little nachas. What chapters, yeah, he said, like it's written earlier in Tanya, what chapters is he referring to? When he says that at the end of days, everything's going to be revealed in the physical world? Pretty recent. Yeah, I'll give you credit for 36. Yes, yeah, 36 about the yeah, yeah. It, in 37 is where he said really explicitly that all of the degrees of revelation that will happen in the times of Mashiach and the, and the resurrection are completely dependent on and commensurate to the way we serve the Shem in this world. Very good. Okay. Okay. We should make a Tanya game. But this class kind of is the Tanya game. Right. At Shabbos, we want to play a Tanya game. A Tanya board game for Shabbos. So no writing involved. What chapter does this come from? <laughs> that would be great. I would go to that. Okay, there's a money making going. But who could you play with? Only people who came to this class. <laughs> well, got more people to come to the class. Maybe yeah. Uh, girls in high school. <laughs> okay. You could speak to your co-host, whatever it's called, your publisher. Okay, let's keep moving. Let's keep moving. and Isaac Bechol Mitzvah Talmud that in the higher worlds, what happens is the Yichud Elyon, the supernal unification that was brought about through your mitzvah, through, through, through your learning, um, is revealed. And he says, what is that unification? It's a unification of Hashem's midos, his attributes, which are inter-inclusive of each other. They're bound up with each other. And then what has, happens is, then the gvurais, the harshness or the judgments become sweetened in the kindnesses because after all everything is interdependent and interinclusive. And this happens through uh, a propitious time above where there's a great revelation and through an arousal from below which is doing the mitzvah or learning the Torah it triggers an arousal from above and basically it's describing the, the mechanics of how when you learn Torah, you do a mitzvah down here, it creates a great revelation up there. However, the main unification that's brought about through our Torah and mitzvahs happens in Atzilus, the highest world. We haven't spoken a lot about Atzilus. Up there is the essence of Hashem. And there, 
the midos, the attributes, are totally at one with the emanator himself. Up there is the actual essence of Hashem's will. And it's only an emanation, a glimmer, a glow of those attributes that reaches Bria and Yitzira and Asiya, each one according to its character, its level. So you should know that, yes, what you're doing is causing an impact in Atzilus. Right now? Yeah. Even if the person's soul, the person who's learning to do mitzvahs, is not a soul from Atzilus. Remember, there are different levels of souls. Nevertheless, it doesn't matter because the Torah that he's learning is from that level. It is Elokos. It is the light of the infinite, the emanator himself, which is one with his will. That it was through Hashem's rotten, his will, that he emanated his, his attributes, his qualities, which are one with him. And then, through this uh, revelation that's caused, when you learn the Torah and you do the mitzvah, these attributes become subsumed within each other. And then, like we mentioned, the harsh judgments become sweetened within the kindness. This is what's happening when you're learning. Now we can understand why awe and love of God are called wings. Like it says, he flies with two, with two wings. Like Chaim Vital says in chapter 11 of Shara Yechudim, that a bird's wings are like a person's arms. You're going to say, that's what it says in Eitz Chaim. That's what it talks about in Kabbalah, that a bird's wings are like a person's arms. Sounds like a biology lesson for a nursery school. How is that deep, right? Sounds like something you would teach a three-year-old. Just like a person has arms, a birdie has wings. Okay. But the Kun and Pirsho explains in Tikkun Ezeir, Shaha Eiskin Beteira Mitzvah Zdechbidechilur Chimo Nikraim Banim. Those who learn Torah and do mitzvahs with real awe and love of Hashem are called children, children of Hashem. But if not, they're called little chickies, who are incapable of flying, Yeah, who cannot fly. You know, fuzzy little yellow things that can't fly? So what are the wings? What are the arms? Okay. Generally, when we speak about arms. Love and awe. Love and awe. Very good. And that's what this 41 to 50. Yeah, it will be, yeah. That'll yeah. be our code name. <laughs> okay. So the wings are also love and awe, right? And if you don't have wings, you can't fly. You're just a little fuzzy, yellow, little chicky. What does it mean to fly? Everything we've been talking about, the level of world to which the mitzvah and the words of Torah and Tefillah are able to ascend to, that is called flight. Merkava, that was, that was about the, the Aves and the level of Atzilos. 
No, that, that, that was a metaphorical way of describing a very high level of service of Hashem. It's even higher than regular love and awe of Hashem. So depending on your wings will be your flight. And then there's levels within flight. And if you're not serving Hashem with love and awe, then you're like a fuzzy little yellow chickie who can't fly. Ubatikun mem hey is that always an upward ascent, or can you go down? No, wings make you go up. But if you don't have wings, you don't go then anywhere. You just, then you just walk on the ground. You don't fall down? No, you just walk. You're just walking on the ground. And in chapter 45, it says... Let's just do this little part right here. Tikkun mem hei, the eifu matat. Chapter 45 of Tikkun Isaiah, it says that the oif, the fowl, F-O-W-L, the bird, is matat. You know who matat is? Very lofty angel. He's so lofty. What? There is a second part of the name which we don't say because he's so lofty we don't pronounce his whole name. He's an angel? He's an angel. He's the Sarapnim. His job is that he runs the entire, entire Seder Ishtaushlis. And when Elisha ben Avuya saw him, he thought he was a second god. That's how lofty he is. What does he run? <clears throat> the entire world. He runs the entire world? Yeah. Like he's God second in command. Well, you can't say that. That's idolatrous. Like JJF. <laughs> 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 like a Parade. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, that's my you know, well, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do know what you mean. I don't yeah. think anyone else does, but yes, you're right. <laughs> you're right. No, that's a good marshal for you. For you. Okay. So Matat is a very lofty angel. Reisha delay, yud. His head is a yud. Vagufa and his body, vav. It's a vav. Utrain Godfin and his two wings, hey, hey. Cholub. Are the two hays. His head is a little yud. And then his body is a line, a vav. And then the two hays are his wings. This is Hashem's name, Yud Kevavke, which is also a map of Seder Ishtaushos. The Yud is Atzilus, and the higher He is Bria, and the Vav is Yitzira, and the lower He is Asiya. Vahaina Elam Yitzira Shinikra Metat. Ubehein Gufei Allah Shemishna. Now he identifies this whole thing with being the world of Yitzira. And he says, there are the, the body of the halachis, which is contained within Mishnah. Yitzira is an emotional world, and Mishnah is considered an emotional work. You know why? Because no. it's not like Talmud, which explains reasons for things. It's emotional. It tells you, is it good or is it not good? Kasher, Pasel. Taher, Tameh. That's considered emotional. So is it more the math or the engineering you were referring to? I don't know. It's a good question. <laughs> Stump the rabbi. Stump the rabbi. But his head, the yod, are the, the, the inner reasons, the secret reasons even, for the halachas. And that corresponds to chokhmah. And then the two wings are the higher hay, which is love, the lower hay, the lower awe, 
Oil Malchus Shemayim Pachad Hashem Kapachan Melech Derech Marshal, which is the awe of Hashem, like the awe of a king. No less than that. She Yirachitzenius Veniglis, which is actually the lowest, most superficial kind of awe, the love, I mean, the awe that one feels of a king, but it's awe nonetheless. As a, in contrast to the higher level of awe, which is called that's called the, the concealed things, because it's a higher, loftier level. That's not an awe that's related to like, oh no, the king is coming. It's more like we call Yerabashis a, a self-consciousness. How can I even exist as a separate entity in front of the everything? That's a loftier level of awe. That level of awe is not one of the two hays, it's actually the yud. That's how lofty it is. At any rate, going back to our main point, just like the wings of a bird, are not the main thing of the bird, they are not vital organs. Can a bird live without, without wings? Yes. Yeah, yes. Can a bird live without a head? No. No. There's an expression called psik resha velayomos. You can't cut off the head of a bird and expect it to live. It's going to die. Yeah. Maybe that expression isn't true. But they have a bird that lives. Yes. They said it was an eyedropper, but it had a little bit of yes, a yes. Without that little part, can I consider that part of the wing? Yeah. Yeah, we could talk about that another time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Ladies, you want to wrap up soon? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so let's focus. Okay, the bird. Can a bird live without wings? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Like it says, agapeho shero. If its wings are removed, it is still kshera. It is still kosher. Okay. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a mum. It can't be a korban. We're not talking about a korban. We're talking about kashras. If it doesn't have wings, it's not going to die. Vo'ikirhu. No, birds don't chew their cud. That's animals. Vo'ikirhu roishay v'chol gufay. The main thing of the bird is its head and its body. The wings are just to help the head and the body to fly. So too, metaphorically speaking, they cause a, a unification. Which Basically, because when you're doing Hashem's rotzen, when you're doing His will through Torah mitzvahs, you're you're revealing His will, and that happens no matter what your intent is, L- with love, without love, with all, without all. The bird is the bird, even without the wings. However, the awe and the love. The wings lift up the Tehidah that you're already doing anyway to a level where that Yichud, that unification, can actually be revealed, whether on a level of Yitzirah, where it will be revealed a little bit less, or even a level of Bria, where it will be revealed a little bit more. Or, at least to the level of Asiyah, which is the place where just mitzvahs maisius, action mitzvahs go. V'chein mikra, or also learning Tereshebechsav, which is just learning psilkim. I wonder if you can give me three more minutes and we could finish this chapter. I would love to do that, because that would be really meaningful to me. Have another thing, we're not going to say what at one o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go, go. Okay. Avo be Mishnah When you're learning Mishnah, so that corresponds to the world of Yitzira. But Talmud Bibriya, and you're learning Talmud, that corresponds to Bria. The Hainu should be Liban Mikra, Mispasha, the Yichod, Variants of Baruchu, Matsilas Ado, Asiya. In other words, when you're learning Chumash, Tanakh, the Yichud, 
the oneness emanates all the way down. Well, not all the way down. I'm sorry. Yes, yes, all the way down. All the way down from Atsilas, and it reaches Asiya. But Mishnah But when you're learning Mishnah, the Yichod only comes down as far as Yitzira. And when you're learning Talmud, it comes down only to Bria, even less. Kikul and Batsilos, they're all really from Atsilas, and the question is, how far down do they reach? Why are you talking down? We've been talking up. <laughs> now we're changing. <laughs> no, if you can fall down, Yeah. Okay. Let, 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 let's just keep going. I want to finish this chapter. Okay. But if you learn Kabbalah, then it doesn't even leave Atsilos. It doesn't come down to become relatable. Now he's going to ask a smart question. Hold on a second. Aren't love and awe, awe and love, also one of the 600, or two of the 613 commandments? So why are you saying that you do the awe and the love to enhance or to intensify the effect of mitzvahs? Awe and love themselves are mitzvahs. A smart question. This is the last question on this subject, and then we're going to wrap it all up. Nevertheless, all in love are called wings, enhancers or intensifiers or modifiers of the mitzvahs. You know why? Because even the mitzvah of love is for the purpose of serving Hashem with love. In other words, it's a mitzvah to get you to do other mitzvahs. If you have love that doesn't lead to doing mitzvahs, that's called the holy opium den. I call it that. Yeah. It's called avabitainugim, but I call it the opium den. Yeah. Basically, avabitainugim is where it's just a love where you just bliss out and you feel love of God and doesn't. that's it. That's it. Yeah. That's why I call it the opium den. It's a holy, it's a holy opium den. I'm not putting it down. It's like very high-level tzaddikim who have that, that blissed-out state. Right, so we wouldn't understand. We wouldn't understand it anyways. Yeah, and it's, and it's like the bliss of the world to come. Let's finish off this chapter. But it says, this world is the world of action for getting work done. The next world is the world for getting reward. So we don't, we don't need the blissed-out love, the avabatainugim. We want just enough love to be able to do what we need to do for our shop. Somebody who's not on that blissed out level. He's still yearning and pining. He's not, he hasn't arrived. He's still striving, not arriving. And you know what he does? He's yearning. He wants to get there. His love is pushing him to want to get close to Hashem. But he doesn't quench his thirst by learning Torah. He says, oh, I'm so thirsty. Guys, you're Jewish, right? Guys, you don't know this one? The guy gets a hotel room. He's a business traveler. He's tired, and he hears in the room next door, oh, I'm so thirsty. Oh, I'm so thirsty. Oh, I'm so thirsty. I'm telling it poorly because I just want to finish. He can't stand it anymore. Takes a glass of water, he walks out in the hall and knocks on the door next to him, and the little Yiddle answers the door. He's like, You're thirsty, here, take this, drink it. And the guy goes back in bed, gets under the covers, about to drift off to sleep, and he hears in the room next door, Oi, I was so thirsty. <laughs> you don't know that one? Classic Jewish joke. Anybody who is full of, you know the joke. It's a classic. I have a question after you finish. Okay, hold on. Let's just finish. Anyone who feels that yearning, that love of Hashem, and he doesn't quench his thirst with the may hot toira shalafanov. Toira is water. Drink the water. 
It's like someone who stands by a river and says, Water, water, I need to drink water. So drink the water. No, drink the water. Like the prophet says, Hey, anyone who is thirsty, drink the water. Metaphorically, what is the prophet chastising? It's not talking about somebody who wants to learn Torah, because if he wanted to learn Torah, he would learn Torah. So why does the Navi have to say, hey, pay attention? Meaning to say, he's not saying, I want to learn Torah. He's saying, oh, I want to be close to Hashem, I want to be close to Hashem. Okay, learn Torah, you'll be close to Hashem. It's explained at length elsewhere. In other words, he's wrapping up and saying that when you feel the love of Hashem, it should lead you to an act specifically of learning Torah. Because if you want to be close to Hashem, that's how you be close to Hashem. So the point is, again, the point is that love as well as awe are motivators or drivers that get you to do something else. Don't just say, oh, I've got love of Hashem. And then that's it, period. And, and then, and therefore... And that's why we call them wings. Because what do they do? You can have a bird without wings. You can't have wings without a bird. You can have a mitzvah. It's not the best, but you can have a mitzvah without love and awe. But you can't have love and awe without a mitzvah. What's love and awe without a mitzvah? Love and awe is the thirst. It is a level. But the point is, don't just sit there and, 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 and revel in your thirst as if that itself is an accomplishment. Follow up on it. The thirst is supposed to get you to drink. But it's also a mitzvah, but it's a kind of a mitzvah that gets you to do other mitzvahs. Okay? That's the end of chapter 40. We did it.